0: Turn with me in your Bible to 2 Kings chapter 6 and we're going to look at a story this morning and you'll understand why we sang some of the songs that we did because of the uh, word that I'm going to bring in just a few moments from 2 Kings chapter 6. I want uh, to thank you for sending me to Panama. You may or may not have known that you sent me to Panama. Um But your missions giving was part of what sent me to Panama. The the church has a credit card that we use, and we get cash back from that card. And the uh, elders a long time ago said the cash back that comes from that card, pastor, you can use for your trips. So there was enough cash back from that card to pay for half of the trip, and uh, the missions fund uh, paid for the other half of my trip and sent me to Panama. And so I'm, I'm thankful for that, amen? And so uh, this trip came about because our assistant superintendent, Roy Rhodes, um, who has uh, was pastoring the Alton Church Abundant Life for many, many years before he became the assistant superintendent, began to go to Panama to an Indian tribe that gathers the, the, the Christians amongst the Indian tribe, gathered together once a year, for a major revival set of revival meetings uh they all they all bring their tents and they all uh camp out for a week and uh their their kids go to kids events their youth go to youth events there's uh, adult meetings every morning afternoon and evening and we were called upon i did not really understand the full dynamics of this meeting but our team was called upon to serve this camp, to preach the meetings, and uh, to, to just minister to the people that were there. We were able to do a massive food distribution. There were two to 3,000 um, uh, Panamanian Indians that came to the event, and we were able to do a massive food distribution and really uh, touch the people in a powerful, powerful way. My role... Uh, I I, uh, I was not the only preacher on the trip. There were eight other preachers on the trip, and so they divided the preaching into eight segments. And um, I got one segment to preach, and I preached the message that God gave to me for this house a couple of weeks ago on the bread. Is there bread in the house? And I preached that message, and God used it to... Really, my message was one of the first ones to be preached in the, in the whole week. And uh, I spoke specifically to the leaders that were in the, in the group. I did not speak to the, the, to the whole group, but we had a powerful time around the Word, and we prayed for what would happen the rest of the week, that God would give bread in the house. Amen? And so we had a, a, a wonderful, wonderful prayer time. Our group camped with the, with, the, uh, with the Indians. We camped right there by the river. We bathed in the same river. Uh, we, we cooked food the same way that they cooked food for a week. Uh, it would not have been my preferable camping destination. Haley is here, and she has been camping with me in my preferable camping destination, although you'll have to ask her whether it's her preferable camping destination or not um but this was a heat index of over a hundred every single day it was hot it was difficult I saw my first scorpion on this trip uh, we we uh, we had flying grasshoppers that were six inches long that were just that was my favorite um, that was my favorite uh, part of of the of the nature life was that grasshopper and one of our people grabbed one and it bit his thumb and made him bleed. It was such a big bug. And I thought, wow, we need these in America, right, Linda? Uh, uh, Linda Wilson shaking her head, no, 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 no. We do not need these bugs in America. <laughs> uh, uh, we One thing that we did was we built relationships with the people. And the, the more Spanish you could speak, really, the more effective you could be at this. And I speak Broken Spanish well enough, and so there were four or five boys that that me and and one of our team members named Juan Juan was from Mexico he spoke he speaks fluent spanish and uh, so Juan and I were were really good friends and Juan actually did incredible uh, connecting with a lot of different people but there was this group of boys that we connected with together and uh, we they came in the camp every single day and and they waited and they waited and they waited because we were instructed, do not feed people that come from camp unless you're instructed to do so. So that power was taken out of my hands, but they realized if they waited long enough, they would get, they would get food from our group. And so they hung around and they hung around. And um, there came a moment, I shared with the, the men at men's breakfast yesterday, there came a moment where we realized that there were things missing from our camp. Flashlights, uh, some odds and ends, and Juan's flashlight came up missing. And so uh, he had insight, I think, as to who took the missing items. And so he called the boys over and he said, he said, boys, we are missing some things. Do you know where they are? And they said, oh, no, we do not know where they are. We do not know. And so Juan thought about it. And then a little while later, he called them over again. And he said, boys, we're, we haven't been able to find these things. Do you know where they are? And they said, oh, no, we do not know where they are. So he said, Let me tell you what I am going to do. I'm going to go in my tent, and I'm going to pray for 20 minutes, and God is going to speak to me where those things are and who took them. And so Juan went in his tent, and in 10 minutes, those boys came back with all of the stuff. They brought the flashlights. They brought brought tools from the kitchen. They even brought a dollar bill. Uh, that they had found on the that they had found on the ground. Well, they they didn't uh, confess to that, and they said, they said, brother Juan. while, while you were praying, uh, we found these things over by that tree over there. <laughs> you know what was happening? Their consciences that were asleep were waking up. You know what? I saw myself in those boys because I remember a time when I went to my brother's safe who had like $74 he had saved in his little red safe. And I watched him when he didn't know it and learned the combination to his safe. And when he was gone, I, uh, there, w- there was this, there was this uh, garage sale down the street. And I saw some stuff I wanted at the garage sale, but I didn't have any money. So I helped myself to my brother's safe. And I not only, because I was, I, I was ridden with guilt, and so I bought the items I wanted, but then to cover my guilt, you know what I did? I bought something for my mom. I bought something for my dad. And I bought something for my sister. And I bought something for my brother. And I came home with all of these things. And, uh, I, you know, the end of the story was that I got whooped. And it helped my conscience wake up. You know, little things like that. That was a small thing.
1: Another small
0: thing that impacted me so deeply during worship, they had a set of, of congas. Um, and the, the, there was a boy that did not yet know how to play, but he was sitting in front of them. And I don't know if it was his father or if it was another musician. But during the altar call, they were going on and on with the altar call, which I'll get to in a minute. And while they were going on with the altar call and people were being touched in the altars, the, this man was standing over this boy, guiding his hands. He had At first, he had a hold of his hands and he was showing him how to hit the, 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 the congas to the right tempo and the right rhythm. And he was directing him and the lord spoke to me and said that's discipleship that's discipleship the young the, the older ones training the younger ones and here he is during this altar call the, the holy spirit is being poured out and these two working together to learn how to play and to to feel the uh, the feel uh, the uh, the presence of the Lord in, in the worship. And it captured my heart. All in all, I, I'm not sure that I was there because of my great impact on Panama. But Panama had an impact on me. The, um, the altar call, half the time I could understand the preaching, There were some on our team that spoke fluent Spanish, and so they didn't preach in English with a translator. They they spoke fluent Spanish. And and although I can catch words here and there, the the overall, I, I don't even know really what is being said. But the moment that the altar call would come, the people would pour into the altars because they were hungry for God. One of our team members confessed. He said, I don't think I preached very well. He stumbled through a lot of it, but when he gave the altar call, the people were so hungry for God that they filled and flooded the altars. The rest of the team, every time, was able to go through the altars and pray over hungry, hungry people. We laid hands on people, and part of me part of me, was praying for the individuals I was laying hands on, And part of me was saying, oh God, would you do this again in America? Two to 3,000 people in a gathering so hungry for God. And it's happening, friends. It is happening in pockets and in places in our nation. And every generation, there was a boy who I didn't know how old he was, maybe four or five years old. And he was first uh, many times he was first down at the altar and he, and he was lift his hands and people would pray over him and he would weep and weep and weep and weep as God touched his heart. And he would stay there, not just for a minute or two, but he would stay there 20, 30, 45 minutes just receiving from the presence of the Lord. The altar calls were so, uh, so responded to that it would have been as this this whole area is packed, but then to respond to the altar call, they filled all the aisleways and all the way back. The really the altar call wasn't just at, at the altar area; it was all throughout the whole uh, tent where we were that we were meeting under. And it would go on and on and on and on, and the 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 Indian people hungered and thirsted for God they hungered and thirsted for God and I was saying God will you do it in me and will you do it in in my church and will you do it in my state and will you do it in my region will you cause us again to hunger and thirst for him the last day uh, before we left that place and went back to Panama City. We had the privilege of, of uh, doing baptisms. They asked all the credential holders to line up in the river, the same river that we were bathing in, um, which 3,000 people bathing in a river, you would think that it would be awful, but the river was crystal clear and gorgeous. And uh, before the people all got in every day I would look and you could see fish swimming around and I was like oh I need my fishing pole but I didn't have it Um, we had the privilege of baptizing 70 people that had all all been they weren't just the ones that, that came to Christ that week which there were many but they had been through a year of discipleship and their reward for their year of discipleship was to be baptized that morning And uh, we, as they walked the people out into the river to where we were, we had the privilege of baptizing them um, in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. And as we baptized them, many of them, as they came up, were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they could not stand there in the water and, they, and the, the power of God came upon them, and the people that helped usher them out had to carry them back to the shore many times. It was such an incredible moment. And there they laid them on the shore while they encountered with God, um, and, they, and they began to pray in the Holy Spirit. One of our people, Pastor James, from New Life in, in Bloomington, him and his wife Shelly were both at the event, And he had preached on the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and so people came to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And uh, Pastor James and and Pastor Kennedy, Pastor Kennedy was his translator. He was phenomenal. He has has, uh, translated. He's in his uh, late 60s, and he has translated for uh, all... He's the guy they bring in to translate for all of the major preachers for the region. He had fasted and prayed for 21 days for this event, and when I preached on bread, he said, I am still on my fast, and here you are preaching on bread. And uh, uh, he, this, this was a man of God that I, I did not have deep conversation with, but I knew that, that there was a kindred spirit with him. And, and Pastor Kennedy and Pastor James were laying hands on, on different ones, and they were receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and they began to pray in tongues. And they came to this one older gentleman, And they laid hands on him, and as he broke out in his prayer language, he spoke perfect, crystal clear English for the first time in his life. He did not have an accent whatsoever, and, and Pastor James got startled and looked at Pastor Kennedy and says, "'Does this man know English?' And he said, no, this man, there is no way that this man could have ever learned English. And the first words out of his mouth as he was praying in his prayer language was, I need the fire of the Holy Spirit. I need the fire of the Holy Spirit. Friends, that's, that's the outpouring of the Holy Spirit right there. And he continued to pray. And I don't know if his prayer language will always remain English or not. But this is how it was on the day of Pentecost. All of the people that were gathered around heard them uh, speaking the wonders of God and praying in their own languages that, uh, that, they, that uh, they, had, they knew these disciples didn't learn. Parthians, Medes, uh, Mesopotamia, people from all over the known world heard them speaking in their own languages And they knew because of that, this is God. And here's this old Indian gentleman as the Holy Spirit comes on him, begin to proclaim, not knowing himself, even what he was saying. I need the fire of the Holy Spirit. I need the fire of the Holy Spirit. Oh, praise God. Friends, we need the fire of the Holy Spirit. We need God to come and touch and fill and anoint. God is doing something in 2024 that I want to be a part of. He is pouring His Spirit out. He is doing a new thing. It's a new day. Amen? It's a new day. And I, and I want us to look right now uh, briefly at 2 Kings chapter 6. My report is half of my message this morning. And so uh, I want to bring you the other half of my message. Um, from the life of Elisha, um, the, the, one of the themes of our messages, they did not preach this word that I'm going to preach, but one of the themes of our messages uh, was Elijah and Elisha. And it wasn't planned, but it seemed like there was this progression in each night of, of stories from the life of Elijah and the life of Elisha and as as they came forth it, it, the, the meetings built and built and built and built. And I want to bring a word this morning uh, from the life of uh, Elisha and we're going to begin to read from verse 8 from verse 8 this morning. Thank you, Lord. Now the king of Syria was making war against Israel. And he consulted with his servants, saying, My camp will be in such and such a place. And so the man of God, that's Elisha, sent to the king of Israel, saying, Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are coming down there. So, uh, just to make sure that you understand the story, the king of Israel uh, was at odds with Syria, and so the king of Syria would make plans and say, we're going to go down here so that we can raid Israel. But Elisha the prophet heard from God what the king of Syria's plans were. And so he told the king of Israel ahead of time what was going to happen so that the king of Israel could avoid the trap that the king of Syria was setting. That's what's happening. So the king of Israel sent someone to the place which the man of God had told him. Thus he warned him, and he was watchful there, not just once or twice. And so this didn't just happen once. It wasn't a random fluke thing. It would happen again and again and again and again. Therefore, the heart of the king of Syria was greatly troubled by this thing. They always know what I'm doing. How could this be? And he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? He came to the conclusion, somebody in my inner circle is a traitor. Somebody in my inner circle is giving my plans to Israel so that they know what's happening. That's the conclusion that he came to. And one of his servants says, none of us, Lord... O king, are traitors. I'm paraphrasing a little bit. But Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. Wow. Wow, this is an amazing story. So he said, go and see where he is. So that I might send and get him. And it was told the king, saying, Surely Elisha is in Dothan. That's where his home was at. Uh, Non related to our purposes, Dothan means the place of two wells, the place of two wells. And if there are two wells, if there are two places to get water, that's a good place to camp, that's a good place to make your residence. Therefore, he sent horses and chariots and a great army there, and they came by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God arose and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to Elisha, Alas, my master! What shall we do? And Elisha answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man And he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So when the Syrians came down to him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, strike this people, I pray with blindness. And he struck them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. And Elisha said to them, This is not the way, nor is this the city. Follow me and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. And he led them to Samaria. I'm going to stop right there. We have a great need in this hour for people to see. For people's Eyes to be opened. That which is in the natural is real, but there is something that is even more real, and we uh, have to decide what lenses we're going to see through when we look at this life that we live. There are more with us than are with them. One negative consequence of news, being a news junkie. Are there any other news junkies out there am I the only one I read the news like crazy but some of you with your hands raised up I read the news like crazy I want to know what's going on in the world I I uh, follow I'm following the war in Gaza very closely following the war in Ukraine very closely I follow I, I watch interviews uh, probably more than I should I uh, and it might be something that I give up for Lent. (laughs) Um, News. What's happening in the earth. One of the problems with being a news junkie is this, is that certain, certain types of news can make the kingdom, can make the church feel like it has no power. It can make everything else seem so big and the gospel and the power in the gospel feel so small. It can make us feel like the enemy is gaining more and more and more and more and more ground from all of the things that are happening in the earth. The, the uh, culture that we live in sliding uh, f- further and further and further into extremism and to places that God cannot possibly bless, and it makes the the church, and it makes the people that that make up the church, and the people that that preach the gospel, and preach the kingdom, it it can make us feel so small. There are other things that can make us feel small. There are other things that can make uh, this... uh, this uh, struggle that we call life, feel impossible to gain a, a foothold in. Finances. Some of you have walked through financial trouble, and it feels like I am never going to gain a foothold. Anybody ever been there before? And, uh, you, you know, some of you, you can look back at times of your life. It might not be the season that you're living in right now, but you can remember a season where this was the truth, where you just did not know from day to day how you were going to make it. How am I going to get out of this debt that I found myself in? How am I going make to make ends meet? How is it all going to come about? And you just don't know how it's going to be because uh, what, what your eyes see are the bills that keep coming in. Some of you, the enemies that are surrounding you is not financial so much, but it could be addictions. Anybody have a wall of addiction surrounding them in your past? You have uh, hands raised up, and you're wondering, am I? And in fact, if you're if you're there now, you wonder, am I going to get out of this thing? Am I going to get out of this thing? And the obvious ones are are uh, are drugs and and alcohol. But there are different ones that are creeping up in our society that can snare you, that can that can trap you, that can become an enemy that's too big for you to overcome. And that can be the the snare of of gambling, it can be the snare of pornography, it can be the snare of addiction. Uh, somebody. Somebody gave me a testimony recently that I was addicted to a game on my phone, but God broke that addiction off through our prayer and fasting this week or the last couple of weeks. Amen? We can be addicted to all different kinds of things. And we look at those things and, we, and, and we're like the servant of Elisha. And, and, and we begin to tremble and we begin to panic and we begin to say, how am I ever going to get out of this? How am I ever going to get out of this? And, and what was true for this generation and true for your life has been true for humanity from ages past. Our problems are different. Our culture is different. Uh, We have electricity in this society. We have electronics. We have all different kinds of things that they didn't have 2,000 years ago. But can I tell you, the nature of mankind is exactly the same as it was the day Adam and Eve uh, fell. There is nothing new that is under the sun. That which has gripped uh, you uh, has gripped people for ages past. Elisha's servant is not alone. And had Elisha himself not had an encounter with God, he may have been very much in the exact same place. We look at the world and we go, Lord, how in the world are we going to get out of this? Shh. But I want to tell you some truths about God right now. That God is very active in your life. God is very active in your life. Look at your neighbor and say, God is active in your life. (laughs) Ha, 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 He is active in your life more than you know. Some of you need to shake your neighbor and get him nice and awake right now. <laughs> not only is God active in your life, but I'm active in your life right now. God is active in the lives of people and Elisha's servant, Elisha's servant did not know it. He did not know how how active he that God was. You're nervous about your future, you're approaching a, a graduation, and you don't know what's gonna happen around the corner. But God is active in your life hallelujah! You can trust Him, He has at His disposal not only His presence, not only His spirit, not only can He can he touch you directly, but he has at his disposal a thousand angels that he can send to where you are to help you in your time of need. He is active in your life. We are uh, awaiting another miracle. We were believing God for provision for a vehicle. And so I hit a deer with my truck and, uh, I, I got, I got some money out of the deer in my truck. I, I put a hundred dollars in a new headlight in my truck, um, and I went out and bought my wife a, a Jeep that she could drive. And I thought, "This is awesome." But the Lord, the Lord spoke to me because I was going to share that testimony, and the Lord spoke to me and said, "Don't share it yet. The testimony is not over with." And how many of you remember me saying that? Um, uh, that I was, I, I kind of shared it, but not the full testimony. And uh, last week. Uh, Cammie's sitting in in her six-week-to-her, a six-week-old Jeep, and uh, she got plowed, and the Jeep got totaled, and uh, so we are now waiting for the next part to the miracle. Um, We have been on a journey for the last year of vehicles, but God is not done yet with the testimony. And and we can see, we can get our eyes on all the wrong things. We can get our eyes on all the wrong things. I'm making this really practical right now. We can get our eyes on everything that's broken in our house, everything that doesn't work, everything that we, we wish that we had money to take care of and don't. And it can crowd in on us. And Elisha's servant crawls out of his hole, and what does he see? They're going to kill us, Elisha. We're not going to make it, Elisha. We've gotten out of some jams before, Elisha, but this one, but this one, friend, God is active in your life. He is active in your life. Secondly, this morning, you, like Elisha, prayed. You need to pray. God, open my eyes. Because in the midst of my circumstance right now, you are at work. I know it, but I can't see it. Open my eyes. Eyes, and in Ephesians chapter one, this this uh, this passage is a this is a prayer that Paul prayed over the church of Ephesus. That I'm praying for you right now in the things that you are walking in right now, and uh, so I want to read it to you. Ephesians chapter one. Uh, Paul says in verse 15, Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, your love for the saints, I do not cease to give thanks to you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Hallelujah. What was he saying? He was saying, that there are areas of your life that you're currently blind in, but I'm praying that God will open up your eyes so that you can see clearly. Hallelujah. There are areas of your life that that right now you don't know which direction you should go, but... But Paul said, Ephesian church, I'm praying for you that God would give you the wisdom that you need, the spirit of revelation that you need, that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened to what God is doing. Hallelujah. This is a prayer that you and I need to pray. we need to join with elisha. Elisha was praying over his servant and he was saying, oh God, open up the eyes that of, of my servant that he might see not just the the Syrians in the reality of their situation but but that he would see the reality of what you are doing in this situation right now. hallelujah. We need to pray God, open my eyes. Are you you living in a battle? Are you walking through some stuff? Are you wondering how you're going to get out of it? Well, the the way out is this. God, open up my eyes so that I can see you in the midst of it. I can see you in the midst of it. Because that which is your test is the very thing that God is going to use to do something powerful in your life and prove his goodness to you. Glory to God. Hallelujah. God is active in your life. And so we can pray, God, open up my eyes. (laughs) Oh, thank you, Father. Number three, the real battle in God's kingdom is never, ever, ever, ever against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities and rulers of this dark age according to Ephesians chapter 6. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. Quit wrestling against people. God, open up my eyes to what you are doing and what you are saying. Hallelujah. When your eyes get opened, you begin to see you begin to see God's advantage in your life. Because you may or may not see it right now, but God has the advantage in your life. (laughs) Tell that to your neighbor right now. God has the advantage in your life. God has the advantage in your life. The position the position, the high place, the position, he has all the cards in his hand, and he can play them any time that he wants. He has the high ground. He has the advantage. Some of you are thinking about Star Wars right now. Isn't that right? God has the high ground. He has you. But we need our eyes open to see it. Elisha looked at his servant Filled with shalom. Elisha was filled with the shalom of God. Isn't that what David said? You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And it's there that my cup runs over. And I can waste time fretting over my enemies. Where I can pull up to the table and I can begin to to eat what God has prepared for me in that moment. And in perfect peace, Elisha looks at his servant and says, God, open up his eyes that he might see. brilliance of what God is about to do in your life far outshines anything that this world can throw at you. Can you imagine the magnificence of those angel armies surrounding the surrounding the hills, just over top and dominating the Syrian army, uh, ready, ready, to, ready to do battle? The array of the angelic host Made the armor and the and the weaponry of the Syrians look like toys. And Elisha sat there in perfect peace. And he prayed. And he said, Lord, strike them with blindness. And the Syrians could not function. At a word, everything that is attacking you, everything that you are battling with, at one word from God, it loses all of its potency. It loses all of its ability. The Syrians had to be led around by the hand because God responded to the prayer of Elisha. The real miracle here was not that they were stricken with blindness. In my view, we know God can do anything, right? The real miracle in my mind is the poise of Elijah, of Elisha. In the midst of his trial. Though an army might rise up against you. You shall not be moved. You shall not be moved. You shall not be moved. You can run through a troop. You can leap over a wall. When Paul said in Philippians, he said, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. He was not talking about being able to walk on uh, the clouds or leap over high buildings like Superman. What he was saying is, every enemy that comes against you, you can stand in the midst of it. Whether deliverance has come or not, whether God brings you out instantly or he brings you through gradually, you can remain in the peace of God. And the enemy has no authority over your life and over your response. Praise God. Praise God. This message this morning it, it, it either, it either, uh, it either you can think of a time recently that this message was for you and you've come through already, or you are in it now, or you will be in it. There's one thing this life promises is another battle. There's always another battle, there's always another fire. But the peace of God passes all understanding, guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus as we put our trust in him. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. If God is for us, who can stand against us? In all these things, we are more than conquerors. Hallelujah. God works in all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. He is on your side. He is on your side. My prayer this morning was that, God, the people that feel like God has abandoned them when they walk through those doors, I'm believing that they will know God is on my side when they leave. Every single one of us is at a different place in our journey, in our walk with with the Lord. But friends, God is on your side. He is on your side.